there was at no point that I was like, I can't do that explicitly. It was just like, oh, all of this information is being fed to me that my place is here. And you know, that's so much bigger than just an institution. That's the world. I'm listening to what's happening there as well as what's happening in media and all the things that I've been seeing since I was a little girl. So I definitely felt like, oh, my place is as a singer. That's where I'm supposed to stay. I know that I hear stuff in my head, but when I first started out, I was just hearing vocal stuff in my head. And so it really took that step of me being like, oh, I can get this out and it not just be my voice. My voice is a part of it, but how can I use my voice to help me find these other things too within the context of being a producer? And it's been a a really awesome adventure, I must say, like letting go of all of that. Misogyny sucks. I'm like still shedding so much of it, but it runs deep. That was Madison McFerrin, and this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. So if you've been following along for a while, you've probably heard some of my guests talk about imposter syndrome, especially when it comes to taking the reins in the recording studio. What we'll learn today is that even when you grow up knowing that music is in your DNA and is a possible career path for you, and your innate talent and passion gets you into one of the best music schools in the country, that still doesn't necessarily spare you from struggles with self-confidence or escaping the challenges of navigating music's male-dominated space spaces, and industry. Madison McFerrin was born in 1992, the daughter of Grammy-winning vocalist and songwriter Bobby McFerrin and granddaughter of Robert McFerrin Sr., the first Black man to sing at the Metropolitan Opera. A graduate of Berklee College of Music, this singer, songwriter, and producer first put out a pair of independently released acapella-based EPs called Finding Foundations Volume 1 in 2016, Volume 2 in 2018, and then began to flesh out her sound on the 2019 EP, You and I, a collaboration with her brother, musician and producer Taylor McFerrin. In today's conversation, we'll hear how Madison McFerrin overcame her own imposter syndrome, took the production reins, and made her most fully realized album to date, I Hope You Can Forgive Me. I'm thrilled to welcome Madison McFerrin as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Madison McFerrin, welcome to Shiro's. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This feels like a very big moment, your full-length debut album. It is. Right? (laughs) I hope you can forgive me is the name of the new album. Tell us all the feels. What are you feeling right now? I'm talking to you like two days before the album comes out. All of the feels. I definitely feel anxious and nervous and lots of butterflies in the stomach, you know, that kind of thing. I've obviously released music before this, but you only get one shot at your debut album. And the fact that I produced 70% of it, I'm, you know, just opening myself up for a lot of hurt, (laughs) I guess. But I I think that's part of being an artist at the end of the day. Right. Of course. Well, two things. One, you have nothing to worry about because 
I had the privilege of listening through to the album. It's so good. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, you produced this. Hell yeah. It's amazing. It sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. And since we just went right there, let's talk about that a little bit in your liner notes. You write, writing, I hope you can forgive me, was one of the most liberating experiences of my life. Had to let go of so many feelings that no longer serve me. And you say... Before COVID, I would not have considered myself a producer. Now, I've produced 70% of my debut album, Imposter Syndrome. Who? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep, that is true. Why do you think that you had imposter syndrome around production? And why do you think that COVID gave you the courage to step into that arena? Well, it's not just imposter syndrome around being a producer. It's imposter syndrome about being an artist. I had really convinced myself that production wasn't something that I could do. I took some classes that were mandatory in college, um, and it was just a thing that I did not connect with it. I did not connect with all of the things you had to do on your computer and the setup and everything. And so I kind of was just like, okay, that's not for me. But I had these ideas in my head and I can play a few things. Like I'm decent on the piano. I can pluck out things on a bass and a guitar kind of. I took drums when I was like nine. So I, you know, have a solid sense of time and whatnot. And I would have these ideas, but I just thought like, oh, I just can't get them out of me. Somebody else has to do that. And, you know, there's nothing like being forced to stay home with pretty much yourself. It was just me and my fiance. I was supposed to be on the road for the majority of 2020. And obviously that didn't happen. And I still needed to get out my creativity. And I had this software. I had the tools to be able to do it. I had just convinced myself that I didn't have the time. And so then all of a sudden I had the time. And I started making some music that I was really into. And I thought, okay, this is actually good. Like, this isn't just me just like making something and I'm trying to convince myself that it sounds fine. It's like, I'm sharing this with people and people actually also think that it's good. I think it's good. And it really helped me just let go. Like I said, like let go of a lot of things, like these notions that I had of myself, these preconceived notions that I'd convinced myself that I wasn't ABC when in reality I'm all of the things and I have permission to be all of the things. So I was so excited to be able to make this my debut, just to be like, hey, I'm here. I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. And I'm even better than the last time you caught me. Do you think that any of that had to do with being one? When you were in college, Berkeley, by the way, not just any old college, you were (laughs) Berkeley College of Music. Were you outnumbered in those classes? Was there anyone you could mirror yourself in that might have, if you could have redone it, given you a little bit more confidence? Totally. I think that had I had it in my mind that I wanted to be a producer, there were definitely people that I could have tapped into, but they didn't make that known in the same kind of way. I mean, Berkeley is 75% male. It's like a very male dominated space. And if you're a woman, it's presumed you're a vocalist. It's like Mm -hmm. all the women are singers 
and the men get to do all of the other things, like engineers, instruments. Right. And so I was like, okay, that's not where I'm supposed to be. Even if that wasn't something that I was consciously thinking, Mm -hmm. just being in that environment gives that to you. It feeds you that message. There was at no point that I was like, that's not for me. I can't do that. Like explicitly, it was just like, oh, all of this information is being fed to me that my place is here. And you know, that's so much bigger than just an institution like Berkeley. That's the world. I'm listening to what's happening there as well as what's happening in media and all the things that I've been seeing since I was a little girl, you know? So I definitely felt like, oh, my place is as a singer. That's where I'm supposed to stay. I know that I hear stuff in my head, but when I first started out, I was just hearing vocal stuff in my head, which is where like the acapella stuff came out. But really I was thinking of other things. I was just getting it out through my voice. And so it really took that step of me being like, oh, I can get this out and it not just be my voice. My voice is a part of it, but I, how can I use my voice to help me find these other things too within the context of being a producer? And it's been a, a really awesome adventure, I must say, like letting go of all of that. Misogyny sucks. And misogyny I'm, sucks. <laughs> misogyny sucks. And I'm like still shedding so much of it, but it, it I mean, runs deep, runs deep. Everything that you said resonated with me so strongly. And I was just thinking like all the messaging, it's not the explicit stuff. Because I think the explicit stuff you can address in the moment, but I feel like it's all of the subtle, subliminal totally stuff that gets you. And it's so sneaky because we can't really point a finger at it. We can't address it. And then you absorb it. And then everything becomes supporting evidence to whatever, (laughs) you know. So congratulations for coming this far. And I'm sure it's just going to get better and better as the world gives you that feedback. But this is an amazing album. And I just would love to start with that first moment that you were like, this is good. Like, does that live in this album? So chronologically speaking, the beat for the songs Testify and Run, they came first. I wrote those actual songs later, but those were two where I was like, I really like this. And those were like the first examples that I was starting to send to other people being like, do you like this? Because I like like this. And on Bandcamp, I released a couple of beat packs during the height of the pandemic. And those two were good enough. Testify and Run were good enough that I left them off of those because I was like, I want to hold on to these because I hear something else coming out of this. And then Stay Away From Me was actually the first full song that I wrote on the album. And if I'm remembering correctly, that was also the first like full song that I had written with my production, with my instrumentation. It was like the first like full fledged thing. And I remember just being like, I like this. I was like, this is a good song. And I'm not just saying that because I wrote it. It definitely was a moment of like me being able to open up to the idea that I could produce my debut album. I think that that would be a great place to start today. Can we play a (laughs) clip of that right now? Sure, yeah. Okay, great. Here I am, back again, underrated and afraid. I done came all this way for nothing. 
From me, in parentheses, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the full-length debut album by Madison McFerrin. She's our guest today on Shiro's Radio. I'm going to tell you a secret. That was my favorite song on the record. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Um, And it's interesting. I think about this a lot. What makes a song so special? You don't know that secret sauce. You don't know the story behind it. But whatever that energy was that went into that song, it's so cool because you have all of this experience behind you and you've been doing this your whole life pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, this is a first for you too. So it's really an exciting moment. It's like this culmination moment. Totally, totally. What you described felt like the moment that things popped open. You know, we kind of touched on your journey, but talk to us about where you music met up and what got you thinking, I want to start making music myself? So I decided I wanted to be a singer when I was five, which I don't even think that was necessarily like a thought out decision. I mean, (laughs) as thought out as you could be as a five-year-old, it really was just like, I saw that it was possible as a career. And, you know, people ask me, they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's like, I liked singing. Clearly, that was something you could do when you grew up. So I was like, all right, let's go. And I sang throughout school, and it always brought me a lot of joy. And then obviously decided to go to Berkeley and had that experience, which was its own thing. But I knew that I wanted to make music for myself really in college You know, I was really trying to figure it out. I wasn't sure how I wanted to make music, what it sounded like. And then I wrote a song because a guy broke my heart and I couldn't play what I heard. And so I sang it. So I made this acapella song and then I gave it to my friends and they were like, oh, we could all play this together. And then that was the sparking of my college band Cosmodrome. And so we were writing songs together and I was writing a lot of the stuff and it just became this thing where I was like, oh, okay, like I do really have this energy inside me that can come out and create a sonic world of sorts. And I always had a bug in my ear about like I wanted to be a solo artist, but I was too afraid to listen to it, even though that's how I envisioned myself. It took the moment of me being totally trolled on the internet and people telling me that I couldn't sing. I had a bad day and it happened to be televised nationally. And I was like, you know what, that's fine. Because it was that moment that pushed me to be like, you know what, I am gonna do this, I can Mm. sing. And no matter what all of you people on the internet are saying, including Snoop Dogg, which that's the opening to the Try video, is like him trolling me. 
is like, you know what? I don't care. I've been working on this my whole life. And this is not the point in my story where I give up. This is the point in my story where I push through. And so I fortified a much thicker skin and went for it. And here we are. Wow. So inspiring, really. Many people would have done the opposite. Many people would have done the opposite. And I'm incredibly grateful for the people in my life who have helped fortify me and also my inner guiding light that just told me like, hey, you've been working at this for too long to have it be brought down by some trolls on the internet who have nothing better to do with their time. Also, Mm -hmm. part of my dream is to be more widely known. And unfortunately, with how things are structured nowadays, trolling's gonna happen. Trolls are gonna troll, you know? So better that I learn this lesson now at the front end instead of get into it too deep and then be a puddle when I can't handle the fact that people with nothing better to do with their days are saying hurtful things because they are hurt inside. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm not the one that's hurting people by singing songs, you know, (laughs) so just got to go with the flow, man. It seems like you've taken that to another level, too, in terms of merging music and activism and helping to create safe space for others. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've started up or been involved with? It all started before the pandemic. I was hosting a series called the Ciceretta series, which was mm. named after Madame Ciceretta Jones, who was an opera singer in the late 19th, early 20th century. And she was the highest paid black performer in her day. She sang for four consecutive presidents. It wasn't until the fourth one that she was allowed to walk through the front door. She was the first African-American to sing at Carnegie Hall. And she used her success to create a vaudeville show that other black people could perform in so that they wouldn't have to subject themselves to minstrelsy in order to perform their craft because none of the opera houses would sign her, but she was an incredible vocalist. And so she was like, I'm gonna make a vaudeville show so I can sing opera. And then all of these other people can perform art with dignity and the way that they want to be able to perform. But unfortunately, she died penniless. Her mom got sick and she got swindled out of the rights to her stuff. And she died without a headstone. And she had been like this incredible performer. So I created this series called the Ciceretta series that was highlighting women of color artists. And we had a residency at Come On Everybody in Brooklyn, which is still one of my favorite places. And then also worked with WNYC for a a follow-up series. And, you know, it's so important to just uplift your community where you can and when you can, especially nowadays. I love that we're at least in this moment in time where people are really talking about black art and women making black art in a space of actually being able to uplift one another and owning our artistry. And we're having these really important conversations. And so I think part of my role as an artist is to uplift other artists, just like other artists have uplifted me. So that was the first step. And then we collaborated with Brooklyn Conservancy to create these series of events over 
the past summer, 2022. It was really a space for folks to just kind of let go. You know, we'd been and continue to be in the pandemic. I'm really trying to make sure that I do not refer to the pandemic in a rear view situation. I know people right now who have COVID. (laughs) But, you know, we went through this traumatic experience as a collective, like trauma on a global scale. And I think it's going to be a long time before we really all are able to deal with that, for one. But I wanted to create a space where we could just let go. Last summer was finally the time in New York where, like, you could really be outside safely and you could see people again. And so I wanted to have something that brought back childlike joy for Mm -hmm. adults. Because I used to be a nanny and... You see how little kids get joy in the smallest things that you're like, why don't I get joy in that? And so it's like we had bubbles. We had hula hoops. Everybody loved the hula hoops. I forgot how much I loved hula hooping. I bought a weighted hula hoop afterwards because I was like, this is great. This is exercise and I'm having fun. But we just wanted to bring people together to have a good time and release all of this pent up energy that was happening. I'm always trying to do things where we can let go because I can be pretty uptight with my feelings and shielded and guarded. And sometimes I forget to just release and like Mm. let the positive energy come in. I spend way too much of my imagination on negative things, things that could go wrong, all of this stuff. And it's like, sometimes you just got to let go and let the good stuff come in. So if I can be a conduit to other people having that experience, I'm totally down for that. It's amazing. And also, it's great to be reminded that when you give in that way, that it also helps to heal your own stuff around the same exact thing. Madison McFerrin here with us on Shiro's. Her full-length debut album is I Hope You Can Forgive Me. Has any song come to mind at this moment in the conversation? I think we should play God Herself. This is one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And I only was able to write it because I turned down some label deals. I'm pretty sure that had I taken any of them, this song wouldn't have happened. And so I'm grateful that I trusted myself because Mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite songs. I was trying to write, am I allowed to curse? Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was trying to write a bad bitch song. I wanted something that had a little bit of cockiness to it, a little bit of that energy, because I was needing some of that. I was like feeling down and I was like, I need to feel good about myself. You know, I need to like write something that's about owning my power, my divine feminine power. I want to be a bad bitch. I am a bad (laughs) bitch. Let me write a song about it. Right. And I had this beat that I'd made. I'd been listening to like Savage and feeling myself. I'd made a whole playlist of stuff. So I was like going in that vein with what I was writing, but nothing was sticking. I Mm. couldn't get a melody to stick. And so one day when I was just not feeling any inspiration, I sat down at the piano and I listened to a voice note that I had made like a couple weeks prior of a piano chord progression. I liked it. And I was like, let me just put it into Ableton as an acapella thing. Let me like lay down the harmonies. And then 48 hours later, that whole song was made. It was like straight from the heavens into my soul. It's one of the few songs 
I've written where literally every single piece of what I heard in my head came out. That ending part that goes between the God herself, you gonna see me, that whole thing. I heard that while I was in the car leaving Whole Foods. It was just in my head. I heard it and I like immediately had to figure out how to get that out of me because I was like, this is how this song ends and I need to figure it out. And I remember the first time I laid it down, it wasn't right. And I was like, no, 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 gotta go back. And so I did it and man, I love this song so much. It features additional background vocals by Melissa McMillan and Jonathan Horde, who are two of New York's best singers. herself written by Madison McFerrin. I hope you can forgive me as the name of her full length and I'm Carmel Holt on Shiro's. One of the things that came to me as you were talking about this other side of your musical life where you're helping to curate things and organize spaces and in doing so also honor some lineage and uplift and amplify your community. I think about this a lot because I've had some women not want to come on the show because they don't want to be boxed in. You're like, of course. Like, I get it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How many times can we answer the question, what's it like to be a woman in music? And then for you, it's probably like, as a woman of color, what is it like to blah, blah, blah? And it's just like, oh my God, like, can I stop representing for my entire gender and my entire race? And like, can we stop doing this now? Right, totally. I was curious about your own experience doing that because you've carved out these spaces. Did you have any of those thoughts or feelings or any of that stuff kind of hit you in a certain way when I say it now? It's interesting. This has all been such an evolution and growth in my understanding of myself. I have two older brothers and I love them dearly. But they are six and a half and ten and a half years older than me. So Uh I grew up with the serious big bro energy protector, which they continue to do a great job of being that force in my life. I was also fed the cool girl narrative of like, oh, cool girls hang out with guys and don't hang out with girls and they're not dramatic and they don't talk about their feelings or their emotions. Cool girls do X, Y, Z. I was fed a lot of that. Not to say by my brothers, just like by the world in general. But I'm also getting an idea of what's cool to my big brothers, you know, and I'm just a little sister trying to impress them and have them think I'm cool. So there's all this energy of like, to be cool to a guy, you must essentially reject your womanhood (laughs) and the things that make you powerful as a woman. And so for the longest, it was just like, didn't have a lot of girlfriends. I have my two best girlfriends who we were all in the same kindergarten class together. I have a 
best girlfriend from like middle school who is still in there. Then it kind of dwindles, you know. I have a very small group of core women in my life. And then it was like all dudes. And then I finally came face to face with what that was and what that meant and opened myself up to being surrounded by more women and intentionally seeking that out because all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, I'm feeling some self-hatred that is coming from all of this misogyny and I've had this notion that I shouldn't trust women because women are dramatic and all of these things and it's messed up my head and like now I crave being around women. That's how I get my soul fed more often than not these days when it comes to like finding community. Yeah. And so I'm more eager to be in these spaces with other women because I feel like I denied myself of that so much in my youth because of the fact that I was like, I'm a cool girl, I'm a tomboy, I play sports. I'm not gonna say what I think or need or feel even yeah. though you're hurting me, <laughs> you know? All of those things. So now I'm just like, let's go, ladies, because boys suck. Oh my God, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. And I relate to everything that you said. <laughs> and then, of course, I'm also thinking, like, how fucked up is it that, yes, we basically are told we have to reject everything about womanhood to be a cool girl, be more male, to have the boys like you. But if you want the boys to like you, like you, then you got to also hypersexualize yourself at yep. the same time. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. So, yep. and then I think about like, okay, so, and then if you decide to be a musician or be in music, like how all of that ends up shaping our path. Mm-hmm. What happens then? How do we navigate there? Yeah, it's wild. And the funny mm. thing about it as well is with this project, and particularly, like you can see it in the God herself visuals, I wanted to really embrace my womanhood and my body and my sexuality. And I didn't want to like shy away from that anymore. And so I started exposing myself more so in that regard, because I'm only going to look this good for so long. So might as well go with it. Right. But there were so many people who had a reaction of like, oh, do you feel like you have to do this to get attention? You don't have to. Like you can stay covered up or like you don't have to put on this imagery for us or whatever. And I was like, this isn't for y'all. I'm like, I'm doing this because I look good. And like, that's not a problem. And if you have a problem with me being excited about the fact that I like my body, that I love my body and that I have no issues showing my body, It's not about, oh, I need attention for my body. It's like, no, like I've been rejecting this for X, Y, Z reasons. And now I'm not. And I happen to be a public figure. So you guys are a part of that journey too. But this isn't about like, oh, I'm doing this because I need attention. It's like, no, I look nice and I want to look nice. I want to look back and be like, you look good, girl. Good for you. Man, so complicated. So complicated. (laughs) So complicated. And I've had to check myself a few times where Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. how do I know that that woman is not doing exactly the same? Billie Eilish. What Billie Eilish has done for this conversation, I think, is amazing because she 
hid her body to protect herself. And then she did that Vogue spread Mm -hmm. in that corset. And it changed everything. The Mm -hmm. conversation around her and her body and her image and the choice that she made there, it's like, whew. Yeah. So complicated. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be this complicated. (laughs) It really doesn't. Yeah. Safety comes into it, though. Oh, for sure. And manipulation and all of that stuff that Mm -hmm. we're trying to shift. The patriarchy. The patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Back to music. Mm -hmm. Let's go to another track. What should we play next? I think one, and like even getting into the sexuality conversation that we're just having, Mm -hmm. Testify. It's sexy. It's cool. You know, it's definitely me embracing sexuality for sure. McFerrin here with us on Shira's. The full-length debut album is called I Hope You Can Forgive Me, and that's Testify. I'm having the best time talking to you. I feel that I could talk to you all day, but all good things must come to an end. (sighs) Yeah. But before we go, I want to do a little practice with you that I've been doing at the end of each one of these interviews. It's called the Shiro's Magic Wand. Oh, okay. I've been told that this is a very heavy wand. Okay. (laughs) But I bestow it upon you today, Madison. And with the magic wand, you have the power to change anything in music for women and non-binary people. What would you change? No pressure. Really easy question. What's the first thing that comes to you? What would I change in the industry Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for women and non-binary people? If I just had a magic wand... And it went mm-hmm. poof, mm-hmm. changed. I think I would change the manipulation that happens in the industry, more so to women and non-binary people, which has to do with the patriarchy that we were talking about before. But women and non-binary people, we get taken advantage of in really serious ways. And thankfully, with things like the Me Too movement, more of that has come to light, but there are a lot of men who have used their power for bad and not for good. And because we also haven't been given power in the industry, which that if I were to have a second one, it would also, I think this also kind of includes power. There are not a lot of women behind the scenes. You know, it's mostly men behind the scenes. It's mostly men in positions of power, mostly men who have ownership of the catalogs, mostly men who are the producers. Uh, You know, there aren't enough women on the other side that are able to fight back against these things. And so a lot of times, particularly younger women, they meet somebody And this person's like, oh, I can make your dreams come true. You just have to do X, Y, Z for me. And it's an unsafe environment for a lot of people. And I would definitely love for that to change. 
I would love for that to change. And I think it is changing. I do think because we're having more conversations about it, because of the fact that there are more women in power or that are taking positions of power, I have hope that that will change. It's interesting to hear you say that because I also very intentionally made this an intergenerational show. (laughs) And the older generation will say it was like that in the past, but it's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to know from my guests, like, is that true? Are things better or is this still something that is going on? And what I'm hearing you say is it's still going on. Yeah, It's totally. better, but it's still going on. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And the gatekeeping is huge. The power yep. structure is huge. Like that all needs to change. Just so you know, you're in good company. This is one of the most <laughs> common magic wand wishes <laughs> that happens on this show. I would imagine. Luckily, you are also paving the way. And I'm by doing taking my best. the yeah, and by p- taking the production reins too, like who knows? Maybe one day you're going to start producing for others. We need more producers. That's the plan. That's the yeah. plan. I would really yes. like to do that. Uh, Now that I have that title attached to my name, I don't want to gatekeep it to myself, you know? Madison McFerrin, thank you so much for being with us. Pick a song, if you would, to take us out today. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's really amazing to talk with you about a project that means so much to me. So thank you so much for having me on the show. To take it out, let's go with a song that's very special to me. There's a lot of deep history behind it and it's also with the only feature on the entire album features none other than my pops so let's end it out on run but i need you to trust me Thanks once again to Madison McFerrin. Thank you for being with us on Shiro's. Thank you again. Many thanks once again to Madison McFerrin for being with us. Her full-length debut album, I Hope You Can Forgive Me, is out now. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at She Rose Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.